Hello, Syngap land. My name is Mike Crowley. This is episode 83 of Syngap 10, your 10-minute weekly briefing on everything you need to know about Syngap 1. I should be talking about our big science meeting in 10 days on December 1st in Nashville, but I don't have time. Uh, the only thing that matters about that right now is that Dr. Ed Kay is our keynote speaker at that meeting, and he is kicking off on the morning of Thursday, December 1st, and you want to hear him speak, and you're definitely going to want to hear him speak after I finish this podcast. Let's talk about how we're going to make our kids better. That's why we're all here, right? Our kids have two copies. Every, every, everybody has two copies of every gene, one from mom, one from dad. Our kids, one of those copies has a de novo mutation, a typo that causes that copy to not work. Instead of two factories, our kids have one functioning factory, and that factory is making 50%. That's why our disease is called a haploinsufficiency. How are we going to help our kids? Let's just go throw lots and lots of medicines at them and try to treat all their symptoms. No, that's what we're doing right now. It doesn't work. It's unsatisfactory. It's not okay. What we need to do is make up for this busted factory and make the other factory work harder, right? Because we can't fix everybody's typo. Everyone has different typos. So we got to make the good copy of that gene work harder. Makes sense. How are we going to do that? Well, there's a little tiny piece of RNA out there called an ASO that people are making to make the good copies work harder. If you are like, what's Mike talking about? Go listen to episode 43, episode 81, and webinar 63. Links are in the show notes. I've talked about all of this, right? If this is news to you, go do your homework, watch those things, and then come back here. So our kids have a good copy, bad copy, we need to make good copy work harder. How are we gonna do that? We're gonna use an ASO. What's an ASO? It's a drug that we're gonna stick into the spine that goes up to the brain to make the good copy work harder. Okay, got it. And then what's going to happen? The good copy is going to make more protein. And then what's going to happen? The protein is going to go back and rewire the brain, right? Protein is going to go back and rewire the brain. We're going to start putting protein back in all those synapses that don't have enough protein. And then we think the seizures are going to go down, the behaviors are going to improve, the sleep's going to get better, the GIs, all the things. Okay. Okay, Mike, I'm with you. So current, current drugs, not working. Kids, sick. Help them, ASO. Got it. So who's going to make the ASO? Where do we get the ASO? How much ASO do we need? Good questions. Who's going to make the ASO? A lot of people out there talk about it. A lot of genes out there are desperate for someone to make it. We are blessed beyond imagination that there are two companies talking about an ASO for Syngap 1 right now. Stoke Therapeutics and Praxis. Ionis is also working with Dr. Prosser, but they haven't announced. But let's not talk about them right now. And with all due respect to Praxis, let's not talk about them right now because Stoke announced data on an ASO in another gene, a very big and important gene, SCM1A, which makes the NAV 1.1 protein, which, may, which is a disease called Dravet. So I'm going to talk about Dravet. Dravet is, 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 a, is, a, is a much bigger disease than Syngap in that there's many more patients and uh, while Syngap is horrific and I hate it, Dravet is actually worse because those seizures untreated can kill children. And, and of all the things Syngap parents worry about, it's not our children dying from seizures. So Stoke is working on Dravet with ASOs, also a haploinsufficiency. Then they're working on an ocular thing because that's low-hanging fruit. You just put the drug in the eye, you're done. And then the, the next genetic, neurogenetic disease they're going after is Syngap-1. Very important. Let's go back to the ASO and how we're going to help our kids. We're going to stick an ASO in our kids' brains. It's going to make more protein. It's going to fill in the gaps. They're going to improve. Are they going to go back to normal? Probably not. Are they going to improve? Inshallah.
Let's talk about how, but how do we know? Okay, Mike, so we get it. We made this ASO, we've done it in dishes, we've done it in mice, we've cured a lot of mice, great. But how does that translate to humans? How do we know how much drug to give our kids? How do we know how often to give it our drug? Because this isn't like, hey, pop a pill. We got to get this into the brain. You can't put it in the mouth because then it goes through the tummy and through the intestine and through the liver. And by the time it gets to the brain, there's not much left. So you got to take a needle, stick it in the spine and let it go up to the brain through the cerebrospinal fluid. And then you get the drug in the brain. Whoa. I don't want to do that more than I have to, right? Every month, every three months, every six months, what's the answer? So dose, how much in a dose is safe and effective? Interval, how often do I have to do this? And time on drug. What is time on drug? Remember, this isn't Tylenol. Not like, hey, took a pill, feel better. Four hours later, take it again. Mm -mm. This is putting a drug into the brain, create more protein, rewire the brain, and over time, fill in more and more gaps. So time on drug for many interventions is important, but for this intervention is huge. Makes sense, Mike. Okay, cool. I'm with you. Why are, you so, why are we talking about this? And I, before I answer that, I just, time on drug is huge, right? So conceptually, you would put a drug in and it would make more protein and you would see some improvement. And then after an appropriate interval, you would put in the drug again and you'd see more improvement. But after some time, you would see a lot of improvement, right? And... This is where I use the analogy of a house for, these, for this disease, right? Imagine you're building a house and you've hired a bad electrician and a lot of the wiring is bad. Bummer. You buy the house, you come in, you go to fix the, ele you go to fix the electric work and you fix the important stuff first. You start with the panel, but then you start with the switches and you say, la, la, la. there's always more things you can do, right? Which is why our kids, which is why children with smaller houses, smaller brains, are likely to need less time on drug than adults. If you can imagine an 18-year-old getting this medicine and being rewired, there's a much bigger house, there's a much bigger brain there. And so you're gonna to have to probably dose longer, more doses over time to rewire that bigger brain, to fix the electric in that bigger house, right? Dose, interval, time on drug. Now, back in episode 81, I talked about Dr. Tim Yu, one of my heroes, and how he's made Millicen for Milla and Valericen for Valeria. But we're not talking about Dravaisen. We're talking about STK-01. We're talking about a drug that can be given to the thousands of patients with Dravet by a company who said they plan to do the same thing for the thousands of patients with Syngap-1. Whoa, this is different, Mike. This is industrial delivering of a drug to lots of different patients with lots of different mutations and lots of different phenotypes. This is tricky. Are these guys stoked? Good? Yeah, go, go listen to episode 43. They're amazing. Dose, interval, time on drug. We don't know any of these things because to be crisp, this has not been done before. We've done ends of ones and twos like Dr. Yu which is a feat all by itself for different reasons. But now we're talking about N of hundreds and thousands 
which is what we desperately need because those of us in the Singap community know that there are hundreds and soon to be thousands of us. So the fact that Stoke is thinking about this at scale and has the courage and the brilliance to tackle this problem, woo! Dose, interval, time on drug, we don't know any of this. And yet, Stoke, with this incredible courage, has just, in their quarterly results, reported to Wall Street early results on the first 55 patients. And they're going to report more at AAS, which is like, I'm just going to stay at AAS and like follow them around and be like, when are you reporting? When are you reporting? Let's think about this for a second. This has not been done before. Oh, Mike. Yes, it has. What about Neurosen? That was an ASO for spinal muscular atrophy. You even said in episode 43 that the guys who started Stoke came from the company that made the ASO for spinal muscular atrophy. So clearly you don't know what you're talking about. Wrong. As they say in Thailand, same, same, but different. Spinal muscular atrophy is for the spine and you're delivering directly to the spine and you're fixing the spinal cord. Now, I realize the spinal cord and the brain are connected, but they are very different. So we've shown, and it was landmark and cutting edge, and it's still amazing. And, we've sh and the kids who were dying of SMA are not dying anymore. It's amazing. But we showed with the SMA drug that you could deliver an ASO to the central nervous system and fix things. But this is trickier. Now we're talking about delivering a drug to the spinal fluid hoping it gets up to the brain and then we're going to fix the brain, which is a far more complicated machine than the spinal column. So Stokes going up like a couple levels here and they're reporting data to the street. The street is great at EBITDA and money in, money out, projected earnings, and expectations. Not super nuanced about novel medicines being delivered to large populations for the first time ever. Overcoming scientific hurdles none of us could fathom. They're not great at that. In spite of this limitation of the street, Stoke went and said, hey, here's our early data for 55 patients and here's what happened. We tried multiple doses because again, we don't really know what the right dose is. So we're starting. And as a result of that, we started with very pretty conservative doses. We started at tight intervals because we're pretty sure that they were really low doses. And we wanted to see how multiple doses happened over time. So we did a single dose and we did a multiple dose. And then we did a slightly higher, closer to what we think really would work dose. Just to see what would happen. All very safe, all pre-approved by regulators in the UK and the US all with countless doctor's visits and CSF draws, and it's incredible. Go ahead and look at slide 11 on their presentation. And guess what? Not only did seizures go down, and I'll tell you why that's amazing in a second, but other non-seizure endpoints improved. Other non-seizure endpoints improved, because remember, this is not an anti-seizure drug. This is a rewire the brain drug. The hypothesis being, we put the ASO in, the good copy makes more protein, there's more protein in the brain, and all the things get better. So the fact that seizures improved and non-seizure endpoints improved validates that hypothesis. Let's go back to seizures improving. What do we mean by seizures improving? Be more specific. Well, it's Dravet. Dravet is not like Singap. First of all, 
really hard to miss a seizure in Dravet. They have convulsive seizures. Whereas in Syngap, we have absence and eyelid myoclonia, and then eventually our patients progress to drops. And we have some patients who are very serious in their seizures. I don't want to minimize it, but I am very comfortable saying Dravet, the seizures are much worse. Indeed, untreated seizures in Dravet can be lethal. So Dravet families do not mess around. They just, they bring out the big guns to begin with. Every patient in this trial, before getting an intrathecal injection, before getting a spinal tap to deliver this drug, was already on three or four drugs. And half of them, one of those drugs was fenfluramine. Fenfluramine is a no-joke, heavy-hitting drug that, um, in spite of some side effects, has incredible seizure-reducing abilities. So these patients are already on three or four drugs, including fenfluramine. And their seizures went down on top of that. That's incredible. Right, so we've taken the best you can do and we've made it better with this drug. Alone, amazing. And non-seizure endpoints went up. Wow. So it worked. They were able to rewire the brain. They don't know the right dose. They're still learning the right interval. They have to put this in the they have to put this in the patients and measure how long the drug lasts in the CSF to see, okay, do we dose again in three months, in six months, whatever? And they and these were early results, right? So we, we don't really know how much better things get after time on drug, after you make the good copy make more protein. You're talking about patients who are 5, 10, 15, whatever, old. No, no apologies to people who are over 15. And and we're, result, we're releasing results that show improvement and we've only been on drug for a few months. What will they be like after being on drug for a few years? It's incredibly exciting to think about. So for the first time ever, we have delivered an ASO to the CNS, to multiple patients, and we've already shown great results. Amazing! If Now, I am not a financial advisor. I am not giving stock advice. I do not own any Stoke stock. My wife is an investor. I'm not allowed to own any stock. I don't. So this is not financial advice. But one would assume after hearing what I've just said that after Monday's announcement, Stoke stock would have gone up, right? Whoa, it's amazing. And it didn't. It went down. Very confusing. Very confusing. And that's one of the reasons it's taken me a week to get this podcast. It's because I just do not understand how people were not like, oh my God, they've done it. They're doing it. It's happening. They are about to deliver a therapeutic for Dravet, one of the most horrific and terrible genetic epilepsies on the planet. They're showing results. Let's get behind this company. No, indeed. One analyst observed that there was some leakage, that a little bit of drug got into plasma, and uh, he thought that was a safety concern. What did, what did you think would happen, dude? We stuck a drug in the spine. Spine is part of the body. There's leakage into the blood system where there's plasma. And so these kids have a little extra SCN1A. And plasma doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter at all. You want to talk about safety? 
I'm going to talk about safety. A child with a dravet having seizures. That's unsafe. Like, the fact that this is what people anchored on, like, because I read every article out there. I'm like, why is the stock going down? I do not understand. That was the thing that they were quoting. They're like, I'm not even going to say his name. Not the point. So I'm not saying you should buy the stock. I'm not saying you should sell the stock. I'm not telling you anything about the stock. I'm simply observing that after this announcement a week ago, the stock went down. And I find that to be a bit of a head scratcher because what has happened is the smartest people in the room who've been hard at work at this for years were so excited about their early data that they, they said, it's working. And either the people on Wall Street were like, oh, we know something you don't, and they all sold, or, that's one hypothesis, the other is, people on Wall Street were like, oh, problem, run away. Instead of stopping and appreciating the magnitude of what we are talking about. There is a drug for the worst genetic epilepsy, and it is showing results in early trials. Before we've optimized dose, before we've optimized interval, and before we've had sufficient time on drug to understand the potential here. Bonkers. Makes no sense at all. None. And from the Syngap-1 community's perspective, this is crazy exciting. Because not only is Stoke figuring out how to communicate about this stuff, how to manage these trials, how to think through issues of dose, interval, time on trial, and dealing with, and, and, and then, like, that's not hard enough, dealing with the FDA and other regulators. But they're going to go through this whole process, and these people are smart. They're learning from everything. They're thinking back. They're like, why did we do this? What if we did that? How would we do this differently? And their next shot on goal, God willing, will be Syngap-1. Which is good because, frankly, it's a slightly harder drug because it's, it's, it's going to be much harder to measure seizures in the absence of some kind of innovative, innovative biomarker, which we don't even have time to talk about. But I'm working on it. But that's another conversation. So TLDR, go back. Listen to episode 43. Listen to episode 81. Listen to this episode a couple times. Listen to Stokes Earnings Call. And... Then come to Nashville in 10 days and hear Dr. Ed K. talk and appreciate that he is leading one of the most courageous and incredible companies who is tackling one of the hardest problems on earth and they're making progress. No one else has done this, guys. No one else has shared great data on Dravet at scale. No one else is delivering drugs to the CNS and making haplin sufficiencies work. Happy to be corrected on that. Send me, send me the data. Send me the press release. These guys are killing it. And they're so proud of themselves. They came out early on and they're like, it's heading in the right direction. And Wall Street was like, not perfect. Ding, ding, ding. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. This is a really long episode. But good news. Have a great one. See you in 10 days.